Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today, you're listening to episode 196, and I'm talking with Crystal Garcia Riley. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Koala Clip, and you all need to be making sure that you have a Koala Clip for all of your runs. Koala Clip is a little pouch that you can put your phone in when you run. I run with it every single time I'm out because I always want to have my phone with me. Um, No, it's not just for pictures. It's for other things as well, you know, like emergencies in case I need to call someone. No, really, it's actually for my podcast and my music, but also pictures and emergencies. Anyway, the Koala Clip is sweat proof. It's convenient. It clips to the back of your sports bra. It's super easy to use, really affordable. And you all need to try it out. Gift it to your runner friends. You can go to koalaclip.com and use the code ANOTHER for 10% off your order. Go give Christina, the owner and founder, designer, she does all the things over there. Go give her some love and try out a Koala Clip because it's an awesome product. Again, go to koalaclip.com and use the code ANOTHER for 10% off. All right, Crystal. This guest is an amazing woman. She, I'm honored that she has been a supporter of my show for quite a long time now. She recently started her own podcast called In a Skirt, which is super cool. You all probably know by now that I love it when other people start podcasts. And Crystal started her show. She is a skirt wearer. She's worn a skirt her entire life. She's Pentecostal, and that is part of her belief system. And she shares with us in this episode how that kind of kept her from showing up at races for a while and how her view changed. And now she's totally comfortable at races in her skirt and wearing what she's most comfortable in. Her podcast, she highlights people who might have had a similar path into running. You can find it if you go to In a Skirt. You can find her podcast. Crystal has three kiddos and she is a full-time working mom. She's a lawyer. And we get into her running, her career, and her passion for fostering. Her daughter came into their family through the foster care system and they adopted her. And I loved hearing their story and all of her wonderful thoughts and words of encouragement regarding foster care. It's something that I'm super passionate about. Although I've never done it myself, I love learning more about it. Crystal has run two marathons and she's an inspiration. She wants to qualify for Boston one day and I'm honored to have one of my listeners and friends, though we haven't met in person. I would consider her a friend because we we chat online a decent amount. I'm honored to have her on the show. Hey, I wanted to let everybody know last week on my podcast episode 195 with Jared Ward, I announced that I have a live event coming up. So Saturday, November 9th. The Monumental Marathon takes place here in Indianapolis, and I'm doing a live event with Dina Castor and Sally McRae. It's going to be a really special, fun night of encouragement and inspiration, and I want you all to be there. If you're going to come into town for the race, definitely don't miss this event. It's that Saturday night, November 9th at 5.30 p.m. We have the VIP tickets. We're doing a VIP ticket. It's already sold out. But the general tickets are still available, and I want you to be there. Um, But anyway, go to the show notes at lindsayhine.com to grab yourself a ticket and come to this event. 
Uh, with your ticket price, you get, we'll ha- we're going to have heavy appetizers, desserts, adult beverages, and swag bags. So it's it's well worth the cost, and it's going to be an amazing night. I'm working really hard to put on an event that I can be proud of. And most importantly, I want everybody who walks in that door to feel important and to connect with each other. So go to lindsayhine.com for more info. All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with Crystal Garcia Riley. Today on the podcast, I'm so excited to introduce to everybody Crystal Garcia Riley. Welcome to the show, Crystal. Thank you. Well, let's introduce you. Crystal, you, well, you're a listener of the show, which I have to say thank you so much. I appreciate listeners and I love interviewing them. So this is super fun. Yeah, I love listening to your show. It's been great. So you're the mom of three and you live in Texas and you run marathons. I've run two marathons. Yes, I like to run, but I've only run two. But yes, live in Texas, have three children, wild and crazy children. Well, you're allowed to say you run marathons, even if you've only run one, I think. Okay, okay. <laughs> my best friend my best friend has run like 20, so I always feel like I have to clarify. I'm like, I just ran two. <laughs> do you so, want to run so more? So far. Yes, I do. I do. I just don't have a whole lot of opportunities to run them because it's um, in Texas. I would only run one in Texas like between December and April. It's too hot the rest of the year. And so I'd have to leave the state if I wanted to run them more often. And that's just really difficult. Yeah, that makes sense. Living in Texas, it's so hot. And not to mention, though, you work full time as a lawyer. You have three kids. Sometimes finding time to train for marathons um, is hard to come by. Yes, it is. It is. But I love running. So I still try to get out there like four or five times a week. Yeah. Are you like a three to five miler, three times, uh, five times a week kind of gal? Yes. I'll try to do one long run a week. And then the rest of the week, it's like four or five miles, something like that. And what does your long run look like? In the summer, I don't usually run more than 10 to 12 miles. I just have a really hard time with the humidity. We live in East Texas and it's really, really humid. And I just don't react. I just don't react very well to it. So I really can't do more than like 10 or 12 miles. I sweat a lot and I'll just lose all of my fluids and have to keep stopping to take drinks. But during the winter, you know, 15, 18 miles, that's a lot more doable in the winter. Yeah, I'm pretty much like the same as you right now. I'm I'm running probably five-ish days a week and either on Saturday or Sunday, I try to do anywhere from eight to 12 miles. I don't know why, I just feel like, my best self when I have that at least as my long run base for most weekends. Do you feel that same way? Yeah, that's how I feel. It's like, even if I'm not training for something, something about that distance, I'm like, okay, if I can just like get out there and do 10 miles any day, I feel good. Yeah, that's, that's how I feel. Cause I'm not really training for anything right now, but that's kind of what I'm doing. Yeah. It feels good to have no certain obligations and just to literally run for the love of running. Yes. So Crystal, tell everybody about your podcast. She has a, Crystal has a podcast called In a Skirt. And what led you to launch that show? Because it's a really cool and inspiring story. Oh, well, thank you. Um, I wear a skirt all the time just have always worn them. And when I started running, I started running in a skirt and I felt 
odd <laughs> for running in a skirt. I didn't feel odd for myself. Like I feel comfortable in a skirt and I feel comfortable running in a skirt, but I just always thought that I wasn't a real runner because I felt like I didn't look like a real runner. I have this idea in my head, you know, that all runners look like, I guess like Shalane Flanagan or something. <laughs> It's just that idea in my head. And so I didn't really call myself a runner and I ran by myself and I wouldn't sign up for races or anything. And when I finally got the nerve to kind of get out there and start running with people, well, for one, I realized that runners are the most accepting, loving, arms wide open community. They love everybody who runs. They want everybody to run. They think it's all wonderful. And no one really cared what I was wearing. No one cared that I was in a skirt. I didn't get treated any differently. Nobody thought that I wasn't a legitimate runner because I dressed a little differently. And so I started thinking about all the different things that some people do in skirts. And I don't know if you um, have heard of BD Deutsch. Yes. She's an Israeli professional runner. Yes, you need to have her on your show. Yes, <laughs> yes. She'd be great on your show. And so she won a big marathon in Israel. I don't know, when was it back like in February or something? And Runner's World ran a story on her and said, oh my goodness, look at what she did in a skirt. And so that saying kind of stuck in my head, like in a skirt, you know, I run in a skirt, look at what she's doing in a skirt. And that kind of, gave me the idea for a podcast. And I kind of want to celebrate people who maybe feel like they do things a little bit differently. Um, maybe started running when they were older or they dress differently or like I've got a friend who has a son who's autistic, but he's on the high school swim team. So just people who are maybe unconventional or don't fit the stereotype or they think they don't fit the stereotype for a sport or for what they love. So I just wanted to you know, kind of celebrate the unconventional. Yeah. I mean, as someone who's been running for years, I would like to think that there aren't a lot of barriers into the sport. I mean, but then you think about it and you're like, well, running shoes are expensive. Signing up for races is expensive. You don't have to sign up for races, but you do probably need a good pair of shoes. So there are barriers yes. into the sport. But I never think about those barriers, the barriers that say I look different, I might not fit in. And I love what you say about the running community being like the most open arms community out there. But if you aren't in it, you don't know that. So yeah, you, you don't know that. You have to find that out on your own. And so I'm hoping I can help people figure that out faster than I figured it out and encourage them to to be part of this community or to do what they really want to do because we're here, we're accepting, we're loving. We don't care about what you think makes you different. In fact, we'll celebrate it with you. Yeah. So tell everybody why you wear a skirt and what that means to you. So I'm Pentecostal. I go to a United Pentecostal church and I've always been United Pentecostal. Um, and most of us wear skirts. We dress modestly. And I've, that's the way I've dressed since I was born. And as a grown up, I've chosen to continue to dress that way. It's not, it's not a requirement. Like it's not a rule or a law or anything. And we're not gonna, we don't really care how anybody dresses. It's just, in my view, it's my 
based on my personal belief system. Um, I believe in modesty and I'm, I'm hoping that the way I dress is an outward expression of my inside. And I'm working really hard on trying to have it as an outward expression of that. I, I want, I want to be modest in the way I treat people and in the way I act and in the way I look. And I also am hoping it's a sign to others of if, if you see me, if I stand out, if I'm different, know that I'm here for you, that I offer kindness and hope and compassion and those things as well. I love that. Yeah. You know, it's reminding me of, um, I interviewed run like a hijabi. Now I can't remember her name, but that's her Instagram handle. And, uh, Rahiv, Rahiv, I think is her name. And she was talking about her hijabi and how, like, yes, she was raised that she would wear that, but it's her choice. And like, she, you know, as an adult, she's actively choosing to do this. Nobody's telling her she has to. And it sounds similar to you with your skirt. Yes. And I remember that episode. Was she like on the cover of Women's Uh Running Magazine or something? Yes, I remember that episode. Yeah, she was. And I think she's done a marathon and all all the major marathons and she was raising money at the time. And yeah, she has a really unique and uplifting story. And she's exactly an example of someone who may look a little bit different doing these exact same races that I'm doing and that you're doing. Yes. I need to have her on my show. (laughs) She sounds like a good fit. You totally need to have her on your show. Yes. Okay. So with the running though, I want to hear about how like, did you grow up running or was it, did it feel weird because you were a kid wearing, you know, like this knee length skirt? What did you do in PE when you were a kid? And then as an adult, when were you like, this is a form of exercise I love to do. I'm not going to let wearing this longer skirt prevent me from participating. Yeah. I didn't grow up running. You know, I played outside and did all of those things. Um, but I was not very athletic. I tried various sports in middle school and, I am really untalented when it comes to sports, very uncoordinated. So I just gave up on all of that. And I never liked running. I just thought it was horrible and silly and made you feel awful. And I didn't start running until I was 29 years old. I had had my two older children. I'd had them already and I was working and I just felt... I felt sluggish and I felt unhealthy and I felt unhappy and I just wanted to do something for me. And I would wake up early every morning. I started waking up early every morning when I was 29 and just going for a walk. I would try to walk two to four miles a day. And a friend of mine said, well, why don't you try running? And I said, no, I I can't run. Mm. And he said, how do you know? I was like, well, I just assume I can't. <laughs> and he said, well, why don't you try? So I went out the next morning and I tried running a little bit and I made it like, I don't know. I lived on a, a circle at that time, a circle drive. And it was a quarter mile long and I could make it maybe halfway around that circle before I just felt like I was dying. And it irritated me because even though I wasn't, you know, 15, I mean, I was 29, I should be able to run at least a quarter mile. And so every day I went out and just tried to make it farther and farther around that circle until I could make it a quarter mile and then a half mile and then a mile. 
and it just grew from there. Okay, so that was 29. How old are you now? 36. Okay, 36. I hear this a lot, like with newer runners, like they couldn't do more than a quarter mile. And now, how many years later is this from your first run around that seven year. circle? Seven years. Okay. Yeah. So yes. seven years later, and you've done two marathons, you're actively running like five days a week with that long run, longer run on the weekend. Um, how has your life changed since you started doing that? It's kind of funny because for the first few years that I ran and I'm just, I have had this habit of constantly placing limitations on myself for no reason, just arbitrary limitations, just thinking I just can't do these things. And so after I started running and I was able to run one mile and then two miles and then three miles, I just kind of stopped at three miles Mm. because I just kind of figured, well, that was a good distance and that's probably about all I can do. For the first four years, I just ran. When I finally got up to three miles, I wouldn't run more than three miles because I just thought that was about my limit. And I wouldn't run with anybody. I wouldn't sign up for races. I wouldn't do any of that. And my brother one day said, hey, why don't why don't we try training for a half marathon? And he lives in Virginia, but he thought if he trained there and I trained here, we could just call and text each other and motivate each other. And I said, oh, no, I I couldn't run a half marathon. And he said, how do you know you can't run a half marathon? And I said, I don't know. I just really don't think I could run farther than three miles. And he said, well, you haven't even tried like just try, try something before you just say you can't do it. And so that kind of stuck with me. And I thought, well, I always thought I could never run and now I can run. Let me see if I can run more than three miles. And so we we started training for a half. And I realized that once I got past three miles, I loved it. Mm -hmm. Like it takes you three miles to feel good and warm up. So I was staying within that range where you, you feel kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, sluggish and you feel kind of, yeah, out of it. But then once you get past the three miles, your body's warmed up, it knows what to do. It falls into a rhythm and a cadence. And I just totally fell in love with those longer distances and thought, wow, I've really been missing out on on this. And that's when I discovered all of the benefits of running, you know, mental, it's not just burning calories and cardio, but it clears your head. It makes you feel great. It gets your heart pumping, your blood pumping. You feel better throughout the day. And then another huge benefit it had for me was I had a very restrictive diet at the time I started running. And you can't... just, I always grew up, I I don't know if I was just one of those people who looks at, you know, movie stars and models, and you think you're supposed to look a certain way. And you have a body image in your head of what a woman's supposed to look like. And so I had dealt with uh, that. And then I think some control issues, I'm really like to control every area in my life. And when I feel stressed out, then I, I, I turn to my weight and think, well, at least I can control this. And mm-hmm. and so I had some restrictive eating issues. And when I started running the longer distances, I couldn't maintain the running if I continued to allow myself to restrict my diet. And I ended up with pelvic stress fractures a few years ago. And that was a big wake up call about 
lack of protein and lack of nutrition. And I loved running so much that it helped me overcome those negative feelings about food or about diet and helped me become a healthier eater and get the nutrition that I needed. And so I'm, I'm very thankful for everything it's done for me. Yeah. Do you think in talking about the eating issues and all that, do you think that's a lifelong process? Like, even though you know you need to eat more now and you know you need more calories to fuel your body for what you're doing with your body because you need that for energy, do you still think about it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can't. I can't have a scale in my house anymore um, because I'll obsess over it. And there are some times when I look in the mirror and I think, oh, you know, a few years ago I weighed 15 pounds less and then think, okay, and then you ended up with stress fractures <laughs> or you couldn't run. So it is, it's, it's there. But if you, if you know what sets it off and you can kind of manage your life around what sets it off, then that helps. Yeah. How does your, how does your husband play into like a supportive role in that? Does he, I mean, when you guys got married, did he know that was a thing in your life? And um, do you kind of just keep him tuned into what's going on if you're having any kind of like especially hard times with that? Yeah, he's he's very supportive. He's just always thought he'll tell me all the time, you're beautiful the way you are. And after I had my boys and I had gained weight with both of them and he he actually would prefer probably that I had about another 20 pounds on me, but he's just very supportive with telling me that, you know, I look fine. I'm fine just the way I am. He has never once said anything negative about me, but he's always, if he sees me sliding into worrying about what I eat, then he'll try to nudge me back into you know, you know what makes you happy, you know, you know where, where you need to be. So he's really, really good about that. And he's really supportive with my running. And that helps because the running is really what helps keep me, what helps keep me healthier nutrition wise. Yeah. You know, so you he's, need that fuel. Yes. And so he's sure to encourage me with my running and always tell me how proud, proud he is of me. Yeah. You know, it is such a, um, gosh, the food situation with women particularly, it's, it's such a, something that's in the forefront of so many minds. And even if someone says, oh, I've never struggled with an eating disorder, it's like such a slippery slope. I recently did this like three day cleanse thing with, uh, these juices and it, it wasn't like a cleanse where you can't eat any food. You have like, a, like an allotment of these raw salads and then these like bars that do have chocolate in them. But for me, it was very restrictive for three days and I was very hungry at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And as someone who's bit, had a pretty healthy uh, body image her entire life and never really struggled with an eating disorder, it, it had my brain not doing things that I didn't like, you know, like thinking, Oh, like my stomach feels so much flatter today and yeah. embracing that a little bit too much. And I, and it just made me feel like, ew, I don't want to get into this trap where like, I think this is better than what my norm is or to ever, I don't want to think about calories that I'm eating as like, oh, this is going to add to me. I want to think of them as like 
this is fueling my body. This is making me feel good because it has a lot of good nutrients in it. And sometimes I'm going to eat, you know, a healthy amount of cookies. And I just don't want that to be in the forefront of my brain. So, and, and it's just, I, me saying this coming from someone with this like healthy outlook my entire life almost, it just, it's crazy to think of all the tricks that our minds play on us, you know? Yes. And it's what you said is so key though. It's switching that from calories to fuel. You know, I won't look at calories anymore. If I'm going to eat something, I'm not going to look at how many calories it has in it. And I realize some people have to, but for me, if I look at it, that's all I'm going to think about. I won't even be able to enjoy what I'm eating or I'll eat more of it or less of it than I should, depending on the calories in it. So I just try to eat what I know will make me feel good, what I need. I eat when I'm hungry. I don't eat when I'm not hungry. And I know if I want to do a certain workout or run the next day, what I need to eat the day before to feel best for it and to think of food as fuel and not as a reward or a punishment or as calories. I just had to kind of change the way I look at it. Yeah, totally. Now, does your husband run? No, he he has started running two or three times in his life. And he started again this past January. And he ran pretty consistently through the end of May. And then he stopped again. So, you know, every once in a while, he'll decide he wants to and try. And then he gets tired of it and (laughs) stops again. How did you guys meet? We met, oh, we were so young. It, <laughs> it, it, we've, we've been married. We got married and very young and we met very young. But he was going to school in Jackson, Mississippi. And I was living in Nacogdoches, Texas, where I was going to college. And my, it's just kind of a long story. But my, my brother, my brother and I were going to college together and 9-11 happened mm. And my brother quit school and joined the Navy after 9-11. And so he went off to boot camp. And when he left boot camp, he went to a training school in Meridian, Mississippi, which is just outside of Jackson. And I had his car where we had been living in Nacogdoches. And so he called me one day and asked me to bring him his car and meet him in Jackson, Mississippi, because we had a mutual friend living there. And so I drove over to Jackson to meet my brother and take his car to him. And we hung out with our friend that weekend. And our friend, Justin, introduced me to John. They were going to school together. And John's my husband anyway. And so we were, I was 19 and John was 20. And we were engaged two months after that. Two months? Yes. Oh, (laughs) my goodness. Yeah. That's wild. Yes, we were young and we just, I don't know, I met John and within a few weeks, I just knew that he was going to be my husband. And so I told him actually a few weeks after we met and it didn't scare him. So he asked me to marry him. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Now, does he share, did he share the same faith as you then? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. So you guys have two boys and one girl And I'd love to hear you share your story about uh, fostering your daughter and turning in that and turning into her parents, like 
actually adopting her. Yes, we just, I felt this burden to do something with fostering and adopting. I'm an attorney and part of my practice is representing foster children in child protective services care. And so representing those children over the years just really opened my eyes to what they go through and how we have a shortage of foster parents and licensed adoptive parents. And about the same time that I was thinking of all of that, it just seemed like every single time I opened my Bible, I read something about how we need to care for the fatherless. It's just all through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. And I started praying about it and asked God, you know, if that's something he wanted me to do, he needed to lead me, but he needed to lead my husband that, you know, that's something you have to do together. And took a couple of years of just praying about it and we both felt led to foster and we signed up for a foster information class and we got licensed to become foster parents and then we were unable to get a foster child because I'm an attorney and I represent children in foster care we were conflicted out of getting any children in any of the counties where my firm works And when they're placing children in foster care, they're trying to place them in county before they go out of county. So we couldn't get any any children in our county or the two counties surrounding it. And so time just went on and we didn't get a foster child. And we just prayed that God would send us whatever child he felt we needed and she needed us and one day we got a broadcast for a little girl who was needing a permanent placement and she was somewhere else in Texas. And so we just submitted our, it's called our home study, which is about our family. And we eventually got a notification that we had been chosen as the preferred family for her. And so there was hearings and a whole bunch of other stuff. And um, we just kept saying, well, Our morning prayer was, God, if this child, if you want us to have this child, then give us favor and whoever is making decisions for her. But if there's somewhere else you want her to go, then let that work out. You know, we don't want to force anything. We just want you to do what you want to do for this little girl. And a couple of years ago, we got a notice that they wanted to place her with us. And so they placed her with us and she was eight months old at the time. And she was, she was so cute, but she was so scared. She has mm. huge eyes, huge eyes. And, you know, she was just placed in the home of strangers. And the beautiful thing is our, our children, our boys were, let me see this. They were 11 and almost eight years old at okay. the time. And they, children are so much more compassionate than we realize. Mm. Children have huge hearts and they're just willing to help people out a lot more than we think they are. And when we got her, our boys just instantly fell in love with her, accepted her into our home. They made the transition so much easier because while she was terrified of my husband and I, she liked the boys and she bonded with them really quickly and they made her laugh and they made her smile and they made her comfortable. And I don't think that those first few weeks would have been as easy if we hadn't had the boys to help make her feel at home. And so we fostered her for about 
eight months and then she became available for adoption. And so we adopted her just as quickly as we could. Wow, man. So your boys, like, were they helpers? I mean, was, I I think I'm thinking 11, my oldest is seven. And I'm like, that could be a little helper right there. Yeah. So what's funny about that is my 11, he was 11 at the time and he's 13 now. He is hilarious and he loves to play with little kids and make them feel at home and all of that, but he will not help help. (laughs) So he helped in terms of like making her laugh and making her smile, but anything else? No. My other son, who is almost 10, so he was almost eight at the time, he was like a little daddy. We didn't even know he had that in him. He would mix formula, you know, mix bottles together. He would feed her her bottles. He would carry her around. He would try to put her to sleep. He would do all of that. So he was a big helper with that. But Eli, my oldest, he helped too because he would play with her, and that's a huge help. So... I think a lot of times what I hear with fostering, because this is something I don't know, I don't know how many episodes of my podcast you've heard, but I think I've talked about it a few times on the show that I kind of feel this pull in my heart that at some time it's something that our family uh, might do. My husband might say otherwise, but it's the same thing like you were saying, (laughs) like his heart might open up to it in like three years, you know, when we don't have a baby ourselves. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think one of the biggest comments I hear from people when you mention fostering is, oh, I could never do that. I would get too attached. And I just think that's just not fair to think of it like that because it's, yes, you know, and so I'd love to hear what some of your biggest fears were going into the process, knowing that if you did foster, you might not end up adopting the child. Yes. And it's so funny that you just said that because I just shared something from a foster and adoption agency recently on Facebook that said, I'm afraid I'll get too attached. Mm. And the agency said, then we need you. Mm -hmm. We need people who will get too attached. That's what we need. We need people who will love and get attached and bond And, but you're right, it it is also perhaps not the best way to look at it because fostering is about the child, you know, not, not about you, um, not about what it's going to do for the foster family, but what it's going to do for the child. In my particular circumstances, because I've done so many CPS cases, I knew how the whole legal system worked really well. And so I felt like I went into it you know, with eyes wide open. Um, but we also went into it where the, the particular child we got, we knew there was a high likelihood that she would, that she would not be returned to her natural parents because I knew what the facts of the case were. And I knew what place the case was in the legal system at that time. So I knew there was a pretty good chance that we were going to keep her, of course, it wasn't one, it wasn't a 100% chance, you know, anything can happen. And I know that as well. But I felt like that legal knowledge kind of prepared me a little bit more for knowing what I was getting myself into. But, you know, and I've had other friends who have fostered for a while, and then the child had to be returned home. And so that is always a possibility. 
and it's heartbreaking because we want people to foster who will fall in love with the children and who won't just be babysitters. Mm -hmm. And the way people have always told us that they've dealt with it is they have a grieving period if the child is returned home and then they, the family talks about how they're thankful they had whatever amount of time they had with the child and they never forget that child. That child remains in their evening prayers and in their morning prayers for the rest of their lives. And they hope that whatever time that child spent with them did something. You know, it was a safe, it was a secure home, and it helped their development in their life for whatever period of time they were there. Yeah, and I mean, I know that the ultimate goal of of foster the foster care system is that the child can be reunited with their family if it is a safe yes. and loving environment if it's the right environment for them do you guys plan to foster more I mean how old's your daughter now she is two and a half uh I would like to foster more at some point in the future my husband says no but <laughs> he said he you changed got your his wish. mind one time <laughs> yes exactly and so I don't I don't know if maybe in the future, I'm thinking like long term, there's a real shortage. There's a real, real need for people who will foster older kids. Mm-hmm. And I I didn't want to foster anybody who was older than our boys yeah. while our boys were living at home. Totally. But when they're grown and gone, you know, in the back of my head or deep down in my heart, I'm thinking, well, maybe I can convince my husband to open our home again when there are no children here for older youth because there are so many 13, 14, 15, even 17 year old kids out there who are about to age out of foster care and they have no one. I mean, they're going to, they're going to turn 18 and they're going to be out in this world on their own. And they don't, they don't have anybody to call and ask advice about jobs or co-sign on a car or, you know, I mean, you know, when you were 18, yeah, you were grown up, but, but you still had your mom and dad to call for anything that went wrong or any type of help or advice. And they don't have that. And that just, I don't know, that's just so upsetting to me that there are so many teenagers out there who don't have parents don't have parent-like figures in their life and are about to be thrown into this Mm. really difficult world with no guidance. Yeah, I think about it even with kids that are like seven, eight, when I'm tucking my big kids in for bed, I'm like, I can't believe that there are little boys and girls your age that are going to bed scared, you know? And when when I'm like, we're having a hard night and, and we're, having issues at bedtime I'm just like man these are our hardest issues and they're literally little boys who just don't feel they don't know that they're loved when they're going to bed and I think yes that that daily I don't know why I'm the kind of person that has a daily reminder of that every night when I put my kids to bed but I think that might be a sign that at some point we're gonna have to have to do something about it what would your that's a huge sign yeah that is that is a big sign we just you're called we have to get my husband to have those feelings every night at bedtime (laughs) as well what would your message be to someone who may be entering the process, maybe interested in the process. One of my very best friends is uh, going through 
the training process right now. It's all week. It's super intensive. And they're going to open their home to children who have crossed the border without adults. And so for some reason, there's a what there's a handful, like a big handful of kids that are coming to Indiana and um, she's opening her home to foster, I think it's 60, 30 to 60 days or 60 to 90 days. Or oh, something. wow. Yeah. And there'll be a language barrier too, which is a huge yes. deal. But I mean, she wants to do this with all her heart, but she is fearful and she has anxiety about it. So um, I know that's a different circumstance with the the language barrier and the kids coming into our country without an adult. I'm sure it's like 10 times scarier for the child to be in this foreign spot. But what would you say to a mom or a dad who is opening their home and starting the process? Well, first, don't be afraid of the emotions. There are so many emotions, like how whoever you're going to foster, whatever the foster situation is, your emotions are, they're going to get out of whack and you're going to have feelings and emotions that you never thought you had. I mean, any situation is overwhelming and you're going to question what you're doing and don't, don't give into the emotions and don't, don't be too afraid of them and don't be hard on yourself when you have emotions that you think aren't great. Like when you're like, why did I, why did I do this? This was horrible. I mean, don't be hard on yourself about that. Just give yourself time. Um, but don't be, too scared of all of the different emotions that will come. We, we went through so many different emotions and I feel like we had an easy foster situation. But the second thing is what kids really need. Kids need love. They definitely need that. But first off, kids just really need to feel safe and secure, no matter how old they are, no matter what language or anything else that's going on. If they can feel safe and secure first, then everything else will follow. Our child was scared when she came into our home. Even even though she was a baby, she was still obviously scared. Mm-hmm. And every single foster child is going to be scared, no matter how old they are. They're always going to be scared of something. If they can just feel somehow secure with that they're going to have a bed to sleep in, that these are the people they're going to see, even if they don't know you, if they can get used to that same face every day, if they know they're going to have food, if they know that their basic needs are going to be met, first they can start to calm down and feel safe. We got our daughter on track really quickly with this is your bed, this is when you know you eat, and these are the faces you're going to see every day. My mom came and stayed with us for a while, but I wouldn't even let my mom go pick her up from daycare Mm. because I wanted her to see the same face always picking her up. I I took her, started taking her to daycare right away so she could get used to that and know you're going to go to this daycare, but then you're going to see my face every day to pick you up and no one else could go pick her up for a long time. Um, We had meals at the same time every day so she could get used to eating at the same time this is her bed. I wouldn't let her, you know, sleep anywhere else. It was this bed every single night. And if she cried, I would run right in there right away so she could see my face. And so she began to feel safe. So that's just my, my biggest piece of advice is allow the child to have some sort of security and safety to have a routine they can get used to. And even with the language barrier, you can set up a routine and having a routine make a child feel 
secure as well because then they know food is always going to come there's always going to be a bed there's always going to be a friendly face there's always going to be a safe house for however long you have that child and then they can start to relax and when they can start to relax then they can start to develop or feel comfortable or bond when did you feel like your daughter was like not scared anymore it it probably took it probably only took a few weeks and that's because she was so young. Eight I mean, months, but, yeah. but yeah, for the first few weeks, she, she has huge eyes and, and she was really tiny then, like really tiny. She was probably like wearing size three month clothes. She was tiny. And so her eyes seemed to take up her entire face. And every time she looked at us for, for a couple of weeks, her eyes would just get so big. Like, who are you? And why are you holding me? Mm. But she's, she slowly started, it was that routine of, you know, taking her at the same daycare, picking her up every morning when she woke up, we were right there at her, actually all four of us would be at her crib. My, the boys would be too, cause they just loved her so much, you know, staring at her, holding her, feeding her. And she just, I really feel like she felt secure and she started to relax and then she started to enjoy us. And I mean, within two months, we were a family of five, you know, a solid family of five. And that was our girl. And we, we were her parents. Oh, man, she's so cute. She is. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like I can say that because, you know, I didn't, you know, if, yeah. if someone told me that the boys were good looking, then I would like say thank you. But <laughs> you, but it was my DNA that made them. So for her, people were always like, she's so cute. And I'm like, I know, isn't she? <laughs> All right, friends, I'm going to break in really quick and thank a sponsor for this episode, and that is Sweaty Betty. Sweaty Betty has been my go-to apparel brand for quite a while now. I've been loving their clothes for a long time, and I want to tell you about their interval running short. I've been wearing these all summer. They're super comfortable. They almost have a little bit of a retro look. They are made with lightweight fabric, sweat wicking, and quick drying. They have an elastic waistband. And they have a little pocket in the back, which is super convenient as well. Loving these shorts. You can most commonly see me wearing them with the Pace Sutter running tank. That's like my favorite tank top. Anytime it's clean, I wear it as well. So you guys can get in on this Sweaty Betty goodness when you go to sweatybetty.com and use the promo code ANOTHER for 20% off your order. Again, that's sweatybetty.com and use the promo code ANOTHER for 20% off your order. All right, and you may have heard the announcement yesterday, if you're subscribed to the show, it probably popped up into your podcast feed, that I am launching a podcast network called Sandy Boy Productions. This has been a dream of mine for a long time, and I'm finally doing it. I am doing it. You don't always know exactly what you're doing, but you can figure it out as you go, and I've been researching this and just I'm super passionate about podcasting and I, I want to help it be more accessible to other people and I want to help other people succeed in the process. And so I was super honored to bring on the first show in the Sandy Boy Network, the first show aside from this show because I'll have another will be in the network, the Up and Running podcast, which is hosted by two of my friends, Lauren Flores and Nick Klesteva. It is a podcast where they will be bringing you news in the running world, and it's going to be a weekly show every Tuesday. So head over right now and subscribe to their show, the Up and Running Podcast, 
It is available on iTunes, and I know that it, they're working on getting it to be available on all the other platforms as well. So make sure you go give the, give them a listen and support and cheer them on with me as they grow and evolve in, in this world of podcasting. All right, friends, let's enjoy the rest of my conversation with Crystal. Well, let's parlay this into your running a little bit because I think this is so selfish of me, uh, but I'll just put it out there. One of my uh, greatest um, hangups with fostering and things like that is I'm like, but I still want to live my life. Like, I still want to be able to yeah. go on my runs. <laughs> I want to run my business. And obviously, like, the emotional the emotional side of things that come with this will slow me down in some ways for lots of reasons. But did you ever have extra mom guilt or anything like that because you felt like I need to be present all the time because we're nurturing um, this little girl that's in this brand new environment? No. (laughs) Does that sound bad? (laughs) No, it doesn't. It sounds refreshing. I feel like I wanted her to very quickly learn what life in our house was like. Mm. And so it was almost, you know, baptism by fire, I guess, like, this is our life. This is the way our household is run. Mm. And I wanted her, I wanted her to be a part of it. But in wanting her to be a part of it, I wanted her to, to recognize or learn how to fit in with this, with just our regular lives, you know, because I still had two older kids in school who would come home and I'd have to help with their homework. And so we just learned I mean, kind of like you do with the new baby, you can take that bait and, and it's probably easier, you know, maybe for you like fourth time around than maybe it was for first kid. Cause it seems like first kid interrupts your life a lot more. Right. You're like, what the heck is happening here? Exactly. And then like, you know, by third kid or fourth kid, you're, you're just kind of used to it and you can make that kid fit in to your life. And it was really big to me that she have the same life as our other children and that she become part of our life like our other children. I mean, so the only difference was, you know, I'm, you know, she does things with us a little bit more, but if I'm going to go running, so I put her in a a running stroller, if she's going to go with me or she stays at home with my husband and our other two boys. And I can't take away from our other children because I need to give them all the equal amount of time. So, you know, I had her and if my oldest son needed help with homework, then she would sit in my lap Mm -hmm. while I helped him with his homework or very quickly, though, she wanted to be like her brothers. And so very quickly, by not changing our schedule, she learned to fit into our schedule and become part of it. So then homework time became the two boys sitting at the kitchen table doing homework while she's sitting there in a third chair with a piece of paper and a crayon scribbling away, trying to do homework like them. So she just kind of always made herself fit in. We, we made her fit in and Mm. she made herself fit in. Yeah. So I don't know if I explained that very well, but I think you, I think you can continue to live your life the way you want to live it and the way you need to live it. And we want children to come into homes that are functional. You know, we don't expect you to drop everything mm-hmm. that that you're doing. 
you know, and you want to get in like in a home with children, with older children in it. It's great for that kid to dive in and learn from those other kids. And it'll actually help the child, I think, uh, fit in better or learn to develop better because we just went on with our daily lives. I, I'll never forget. We got, I brought her home. We got her on a Thursday. And so I took Friday off from work and I stayed home with her all day Friday and I had to do a lot of paperwork for her anyway that day. And we kind of, you know, did our regular Saturday thing. Uh, John goes and gets donuts a lot of times for, for the kids on Saturday. So did that. We, Stayed around the house with her, took her to church on Sunday. So we had had her for what, like three days by that time, took her to church on Sunday. Then Monday morning, I started her at her daycare. Monday morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, afra- I was afraid that if I kept her home with me for a week, yeah, then we would re-traumatize her by changing it up again. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like, what? I thought I was going to be with you all, all these days. Oh, and then the weekend comes and that's probably a whole nother like, you know, because she's too little to actually explain what the weekend is like you could with a kindergartner, you know? Yeah, yeah, she was. But she she just knew that these were the people she was going to see. And if we took her to that daycare, we were going to pick her up, you know, and she was always going to get to go back to this place and spend every single night in the same bed and every single morning see the same faces. And that routine helped her. I mean, and when we when we got her, she was slightly delayed developmentally. And we were okay with that. We we kind of figured she would be yeah. because of circumstances. You know, we knew the the story and everything that had gone on in her life up to that point. And we were prepared for that. And oh my goodness, within a couple of months, I mean, she just her development, she started to grow, gain weight. We figured she would always be tiny. She's, I have people now say, oh my goodness, she's tall. And I don't know if she's tall, but you know, she's not, she's not tiny anymore, but she is so intelligent. I mean, she just developed so quickly after she felt comfortable in our home. How does being a working mom, you're a lawyer we talked about, and being a runner, how does how do those two things, how do you think that helps you be a better mom? For me, I'm very structured and kind of disciplined. Like my job and then running are things that if, if you're going to do them, you're going to do them well. You know, you have to have, you have to have a routine. And so I I think with my, I mean, all kids are different, but with my particular kids, having a routine, having a certain structure, I think it helps them. We're very much into routine in this household, but my oldest child is ADHD and routine helps him. Um, They do well with that. So it's uh, wake up time is the same time for me every morning. And then then later in the morning, the same time for them. You said bedtime is the same. Like, do they have an alarm? Yes, the boys have alarms. Yes, yes, the boys have alarms. Okay. Now the oldest one is a teenager now, so he doesn't get up with the alarm. <laughs> supposed to. So, but we have you know, I'm I'm really into this is what time we're going to eat dinner, this is what time y'all are going to go to bed, this is what time you're going to wake up and they always know what to expect. 
So, and then my running time, I just feel that's my me time. And I don't think if I, I didn't get my, that time to myself every morning, then I would feel overwhelmed with the job and having to care for three children because I don't care who you are. You need, you need some me time. Everybody needs some time to themselves. And so mine is, mine is with my running and it wakes me up and, you know, there's endorphins and all of that. So I'm just generally in a better mood after I've run every morning. Oh, totally. Tell me back to your podcast real quick before we do the end of the podcast questions over here. Tell me what your favorite episode you've done so far over there and just what your future goals and hopes for are with that show, with helping people realize that they can be included in the running community regardless of what they look like, what they wear, how they act, any of that. I have loved talking to everyone so far because (laughs) I I just feel like I have learned. Yes, I feel like I've learned so much from different people. There's just been the Pilates in a pencil skirt, <laughs> Lisa Silverstein, who I just talked yes, to. I, I feel just like listened to that today. Yes, I'm like I need Pilates. This was an eye opener. Yes, <laughs> I have all these back problems. Totally. And then there was a, a woman, a woman named Deborah Barton, who I interviewed a few months ago, and she's a, a retired psychologist and she's a cyclist and she's just cycled all over the country and she was. That was she's 71 years old. And with her, I was just thinking, okay, this is this is like bucket list items. You know, when I'm your age, I still want to be this active and traveling across the country. And she didn't start riding a bike until she was 54. Oh, cool. Yeah. So for her to to at 54 years old, decide she wants to be a cyclist and she goes to the national senior games every other year and always places and she rides like 200 miles a week or something. So I just, that's kind of a a goal of mine to be like her one day. And and then I, my friend, Tennessee Love and her husband, Bruce, who I think I mentioned earlier in the episode, have a son who has autism and he's on the high school swim team. I love talking to them. I love their perspective on how they raise their child um, and how they, how they help him through life and allow him to be his own person and pursue his own interests. And then I guess one more that I want to mention is as I interviewed a friend of mine from work named Claudia Cook, and she just transformed her life over the last few years. And her episode has been my mom listened to that one and she calls Claudia her hero. Like that's Mm -hmm. just her name for Claudia now is her hero because she transformed her life, but she transformed her entire mindset and her perspective about herself, which was just really inspiring. Does your, my mom does definitely does not listen to my podcast. Is that the only episode your mom's listened to? I think so. She, (laughs) I've been on to her about it. I'm like, come on, mom. Like if your own mom doesn't listen to your podcast and she's like, well, I'm really busy. And I, I listen to episodes occasionally, but she can't tell me what episodes she's Uh listened to other than Claudia's and she's not busy. She's retired so she can listen to them. You know what? I, I think that the older generation, not everybody. Cause I have shout out to my listeners who are like 50, 60 plus. I don't know if I have any 70 plusers, please reach out to me if you're 70 plus and you listen to the podcast. <laughs> um, but I know I have people in the generation of my mother who listen to my show 
Um, but I remember my dad used to say, he'd be like, oh, I don't, I don't have time for that. And he's pretty much retired as well. Um, I don't know if that was a very good impression. My dad's kind of like a country guy. So was, <laughs> that was me talking like a hillbilly kind of. Um, but I just, I, I had to really explain to him like, dad, you know, a podcast is just like listening to the radio. You don't like stop what you're doing. You literally listen to it while you drive or, you know, work out or do laundry. Not that he does laundry because, you know, my mom does all the laundry, but yeah, <laughs> um, you know, and so, yeah, I think that it is catching on to, to that generation, but it's just taking a little bit longer to do so. And, and it's just an interest. That's an interesting thing too. You know, I actually coach a woman who she's a friend and I coach her, her in running. She's training for the New York city marathon. And she came over to, to talk about her training and everything the other day. And, uh, we were just talking about the podcast and she said, you know, I don't listen to your podcast. And I wasn't offended <laughs> in the least, but I was like, man, that's crazy to me. Cause she's the exact same age as me. She's 35. She's training for a marathon. And I'm coaching her. And it's just like you it's like people either listen to podcasts or they don't, you know, or they listen to interview style yes. podcasts or they don't. And I actually really appreciated her candidness about it. But it's interesting to see the people that actually listen and the people who don't listen. Yeah. And and the people I know who listen to podcasts, like listen to 15 of them. Yeah, I mean, that's all totally. they do is listen to podcasts. Yeah. And then everybody else, I'm like, they're like, what's a podcast? And I've had people that I've interviewed and they're like, well, do I look okay? I'm like, no one's going to see you. It's a <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so like, well, what is, I was like, it's audio only. Do you not even know what a podcast is? No, I don't. <laughs> so oh, they thought it was going to be like a, like a YouTube video. The best is when I have people say, oh, I, I, um, I read your podcast or I watch your podcast. I've heard people say they watch my podcast and I'm like, yeah. Oh, I just thank them. I'm like, Oh, thank you. We, we had, uh, we ran into, a, um, somebody from somebody that we had known a long time ago and I was with my husband and my kids and my mom and my dad. And he said, I watch your podcast. And my mom was like, well, how do you do that? Like, she was like very inquisitive and like challenging. Like, how do you watch it? And I was like, mom, 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 stop. Seriously. Like, just let it go. Okay. Like, just, I'm just, I just would like to thank him and like move on. Like he doesn't, I don't need to like, and she wasn't trying to call him out. She was confused, you know? Yeah. You're like, Hey mom, you don't even listen to it. Okay. So yeah. move on. You've like literally listened to what two episodes. I think she listened to Tony Dungy, of course. And then, um, uh, and, and a couple that's her age that rode their bikes across the country, Tom and Deb Gartner. I think those are the two episodes yes. she's ever listened to. <laughs> Seeing me over here, your top fan. I'm like, yes, I remember those episodes. You well, know those people. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, Crystal. Well, thank you for doing what you're doing and um, breaking down barriers. And I hope that more people in your community who maybe have been nervous to join the running community because of the skirt or whatever it is see you and know that it's okay. Yeah, we're actually getting a little running group out. I've been trying to use my my podcast or my Facebook page to set up events and get people running like, hey, you don't you don't have to run. You can be a walker. Like if mm -hmm. you're afraid to call yourself a runner because you walk some, like this is the group to join. And so we've had a few group runs, people coming out there feeling comfortable, you know, not feeling awkward or self-conscious and feeling like they can come out and join a group, however they look or however old they are or whatever they're wearing. So I've been really excited about that. That's awesome. Yeah. Age tends to be a little bit of a barrier too. I, I, 
Yeah. Even though 30 is like really young, I feel like if people haven't started running by the time they're 30, they think they missed the mark, let alone 40, 50, yes. 60, you know? So, yes. um, I, I once had a woman say, Oh, I'm 38. I can't start running now. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You got a lot of years left that you could be running and your body's probably actually, uh, more durable because you haven't been running for the last 38 years, you know? Yes. <laughs> Not all broken. Right. All right, Crystal. Well, let's do the end of the podcast questions. Okay. What is one thing professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? Professionally, I, I think I'd like to argue in front of the Texas Supreme Court one day. I do some appellate work and I've argued in front of our intermediate courts of appeals, a few of them, but I've never been in front of the Supreme Court of Texas. And we had a case that we thought that might be a possibility, and then it was rejected by the court. And every time I think about being in front of the Texas Supreme Court, I get really scared, which is one reason kind of why I want to do it. I, I want to do things that scare me or make me nervous because those are the things that are usually really important and really big and force you to grow. So that's kind of on my, my professional list is – to get in front of them one day. Wow. And, That's awesome. Yeah. We'll, we'll see if it happens, but and personally, I mean, this one is, you know, I'm a runner, so this is probably the most, uh, it's probably the most common one, but I really want to qualify and run Boston one day. You know, I've only done the two marathons so far, but just deep down inside of me, that's the, the thing I want to do. <laughs> I want to be able to, to get to that start line and run that race. So um, I don't know if that will happen, but that's all my goal. And then also personally, I don't really know what this looks like, but I, I wish I could do something that helped m more people get licensed to foster and adopt. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I have no idea what that looks like. It's just something deep down inside of me that I always think, Oh my goodness, there's, at any given time, there's about 100,000 kids in America that are eligible for adoption. That's not even counting all the kids in foster care. That's just the kids in care whose parents' rights have been terminated and who are eligible. And so I just wish I could do something that made it easier for people to get their foster or adoptive license licenses and be able to, to help with that situation. Yeah. And the one thing I think is another barrier is I know that one, if, if fostering is something that you're not ready to do and something that's like just not for your family right now that there, you can be like, you could offer childcare to someone who is a foster parent. And I, yes. I think people don't know how to get approved to be licensed for that even. Yeah. So here you just, if, you would just need to submit a background check to the Department of Family and Protective Services and have them run a background check and then they could approve you for that. So, you know, if you want to, if you have a friend who's fostering. And so we had, when we got licensed, we had a few friends submit their background checks so we could call on them if we needed somebody to, to babysit or give us a, give us a break or something. Yeah. Uh, well, that's really important work. So thank you for doing that as someone who's, you know, interested in the whole process myself. Yes. Hey, and if you want more information or need help, I'm here. Hey, <laughs> so even though you're 
know you're in a different state, I would do whatever I could. I I will. And and actually, if you're if you're offering your your heart, I might connect you with my friend because I know she's feeling like looking for support and she's feeling a little bit lost. Yes, and I would definitely help her in any way and try to offer support. And I'm I'm from I live in East Texas, but I'm from the border. I was born and raised, I mean, on the very tip of Texas, just like 20, 30 miles from the border. So if she's taking in, you know, children from the border who or you know, who have been separated, I you know, my father's Hispanic. I grew up in that community where there was a lot of a, a lot of people who who were who came across the border to to live here. I feel like this is kind of serendipitous, like that I need to connect yeah. you guys. I really do. Like, yes, I'd love to talk to her. Yeah, I this is crazy, but she was go she's going through this program and she's been, you know, super fearful and having some anxiety about it. And my sister comes over like a week later, just after my friend had told me like all this anxiety. And she's like, hey, I'm going to, I'm doing this class this week to get certified to foster children who have crossed the border uh, w- without their parents, like who have been separated from their parents. And it's just the craziest thing that like my sister and one of my best friends who she doesn't really even know my sister are both going to be in this class together. And she was like, she was just looking for support and it just, and now I'm doing this interview with you. So I just feel like, wow, this is crazy. Oh yeah, that is. Yeah. I think, I think that was meant to be, I believe in things like that. Yeah. Um, okay. What's the best, most recent book you've read? So I'm, well, I'm reading right now. I'm in the middle of the passion paradox. Oh, I had okay. heard yep. the, the interview on there. So I'm in the middle of that one and I'm really enjoying that one. Cause I feel like I have learned a lot of things about how my brain works from that book. <laughs> so, but I'm not, I haven't finished it yet. I'm kind of in the middle of it. And then I think the, the most recent book I've, I read before I started that one was a biography on a man named, I'm probably going to say this wrong. It's German Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And it was just super interesting. I came across it almost accidentally, but he was a pastor in Germany, a and a theologian in Germany during the 1930s and 1940s. And he resisted the Nazis and eventually was arrested and executed for plotting to kill Hitler. And so it was just this neat book of how his faith, I don't know, his bravery and his faith and how his faith is what kept him from from giving in to the Nazis and his faith is what led him to take extreme action to stop the Nazis. And eventually, you know, it's, it's what killed them. What's a nonprofit you like to support? There's a few. Um, I'm on the board of our local chapter of Habitat for Humanity. And I just, Habitat for Humanity is just an incredible organization and I think a lot of people don't understand like what they do because I've had people say, oh, well, you know, I don't think pe- we should give things away for free or something like that. But, you know, Habitat helps people become homeowners and it's it's not a free program. The homeowners build their own houses and they do pay for their houses. It's just they pay for the cost of the house. You know, there's no labor included and they're the ones providing most of the labor and it's interest free loans. But home ownership it's just been proven that home ownership can really change a family's path yeah. in life. And so our local chapter, we have a great local chapter, Habitat for Humanity of Angelina County. 
I think that's a great organization. And then there's an organization, it's local, but it's called East Texas Cancer Alliance of Hope. And I'm on the board of that one as well. And I have a very dear friend named Ashley Berry, who's also a foster mother. And she she has been in remission from breast cancer for five years. And when she was going through breast cancer, she was a, a single mom and she people from the community just helped her, just showed up helping her buy school supplies for her son or school clothes for him or pay her gas money to get down to Houston for treatment. Just things like that. You know, there's there's so many costs outside of medical costs when you're when you're going through cancer treatments that you can't provide for your family. And the community just showed up and met those costs for Ashley. So this year is her her fifth year in remission. So she started this organization here in East Texas to provide those costs for other people going through cancer. So this organization helps offset, you know, electricity bills, gas money, food, school clothes for your kids if you're going through cancer. So I think those are two great organizations. Wow. Yeah. That's so amazing. And she was a single mom when she was going through it and now she's a foster mom. Yes. Her son is a teenager now and she's fostering um, a little bitty, a little bitty kid. I think he's like almost two years old. Oh, wow. What's an accomplishment you're most proud of? That, that one is really, (laughs) that one's really hard because I think the things in my life that like I'm, that I'm most proud of, I feel like I didn't accomplish them, Mm -hmm. you know, like it took, Mm -hmm. like it took other people. So I'm so proud of my children. I think they're great people, but I think that they're amazing sometimes in spite of me. So, and I'm, I'm proud of my marriage and my husband, but that, that took a lot more than just me to accomplish. But we were so young when we got married and I was so immature and so selfish that sometimes I'm just astonished that we've made it this far. (laughs) (laughs) You learn a lot over the years. That's for sure. Oh, yes. Yes, you definitely do. I credit I credit my husband to um to our marriage staying so strong because I I'm actually finding it out in my son his temper and anger issues. I'm like seeing that those are things that I've always struggled with and people listening might yes. not realize that, but it's true. And um my husband are, is very even keeled and he's not a yeller and um he knows when to get quiet and when to say something. So, man, I'm thankful yeah. for that. <laughs> yeah, that that's how I that's how I feel. My my second child is really argumentative, just oh, totally tough. argument. He just argues about everything. I mean, just won't ever stop. It yep. doesn't matter what it is. He's going to argue. And I'm like, "Oh my goodness, he can't stop arguing." And everybody will just look at me and I'm like, "That's that's you." <laughs> it's <laughs> that's you. I was like, this is me. You guys have had to live with this my whole <laughs> life. This is me. This is awful. I'm horrible. <laughs> I know. I know. My, I've always heard horror stories about when I was a kid and, and I know that he's so much like me and man, it's a whole nother podcast episode, but I'm just, and I'm, I'm exiting the, wa- I'm, I'm still trenching in the waters of baby toddler years while trying to figure out how to parent an older child with some anger things going on. And man, it's tough. It's, it's, it's humbling to have a child and then to see you in that child. Totally. Totally. Very. If you could have coffee, cocktail, tea, 
whatever with someone fun, motivating or inspiring, who would it be? So there, there are a lot of people I really want to meet, but I always feel like if I met them in person, I would just make it really awkward. (laughs) Like I wouldn't know what to say. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'd like to meet face to face and sit down and have coffee with the people that I've, that I've interviewed over Skype and, yeah. and didn't get to meet face to face. Um, there's been several of them. I'd, I'd like to meet them because now we have stuff we could talk about. And then I think the other person that I'd like to meet in person, and I don't think I, I think I would have something to actually discuss with them and not make it weird or awkward would be Stephanie Bruce, mm. because there, there are so many professional runners out there who I love to follow. But there's something about Stephanie that just is super down to earth, I think. And I think we would be friends. And I think it's because she has two boys. Mm. And I I have a daughter now, but, you know, for so long, I just had two boys. And being a mom of multiple boys, you know, I mean, you, you get it. Like, it's, you don't know until you've been there. And so I'm kind of kind of drawn to women who have more than one son because they get how wild the children are. And so Stephanie has two and she just seems super down to earth. And I would love to go like on a long run with her, but she would have to run really, really slow. She'd be (laughs) down with that. Yeah. Okay. What is one message you'd like to send to the world? I, I think it would be what, what I'm trying to maybe get out with the podcast, like every, everybody has a story to tell. Like people think that they don't like they're just regular or they're average, but everyone has a story. And once you pull that story out, those people who think that they're just, you know, just an average person or whatever, they sometimes can be the most inspiring. And I think like I, I talked about Claudia, one of my friends who I interviewed earlier, but when I started getting her story out of her, I just learned so much from her. And so I want people to tell their story, not be down on themselves, you know, about what they are, what they're not, and be willing to to share who they are with others. And I want them to learn that, I know this may sound corny, but everyone is stronger than they think they are. And you're more capable of things than, than you may think you are. And, and like through Claudia's story, she told me that when she started her, her journey to, to start working out and transforming her life physically, if people would say something like, Hey, you want to go run a 5k, her automatic response, which used to be my automatic response when someone say, would say, you want to go run? Or when my brother said, do you want to run a half marathon? Her automatic response was, I can't do that. And over the years, as she has done things that she thought she couldn't do, she realized that she had set very arbitrary limitations for herself and that they weren't real. And she's continued to push herself. And like now someone will say, hey, Claudia, do you want to go run a Spartan race? And her answer is, sure, I could do that. And I think if we could all get to that point where we realize we're stronger, we're capable of more, and we can change our mindsets from, I can't do that, that automatic assumption that you have limitations that aren't real, to, sure, I could do that, or I think I could do that, or I want to try to do that. Let me let me see if I can do that. Something like that. I'd, I'd like to get that message out. 
I love that, Crystal. Well, this has been a real honor to talk with you and, um, you know, just the connection and, and meeting people who listen to this show who have really cool stories and are doing really inspiring things. Um, I'm just so appreciative of you as a listener and also that uh, you're willing to share your story with with my listeners, my other listeners, and I'm excited for everything you're doing. You guys go listen to Crystal's podcast. It's called In a Skirt. Yeah. So thank you, Crystal. Thank you so much, Lindsay. It's been so much fun to talk to you. I, it's kind of surreal because you know, I listen to you every week. I'm like, <laughs> oh, now I'm talking to Lindsay. So did the interview feel so like you. what you thought it was going to feel like? It felt better. I was a little nervous <laughs> and it's very easy to talk to you. So then it just felt like, I mean, I can't see you, but it felt like we were just sitting down drinking a cup of coffee and just chatting. And that, that felt great. Yeah. I do feel like if I didn't stop myself, I could have kept rambling. Um, cause I had so many like thoughts and questions and comments on the things that you were saying. I'm like, this could easily be three hours, Lindsay, you got to cut it. <laughs> yeah. And I would have loved it because it was fun. Yeah, it was fun. All right, Crystal, we'll have a really great rest of your night. You too. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right, friends. Thank you so much for listening today. Thank you, Crystal, for sharing your story. Um, Proud of you for starting your podcast and making that happen. You guys can check out her podcast if you go to In A Skirt. And she is also on Instagram, in underscore A underscore skirt underscore podcast. You guys can find me on Instagram. I'm lindsayhine626. You can find me on Twitter at lindsayhine and you can find me on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. If you're looking for more content from me, you can find that over on my Patreon page, patreon.com slash lindsayhine. And I do episodes with my husband, bonus episodes with returning guests, as well as keeping guests on for a little bit longer. Guests like Kara Goucher, Shalane Flanagan, Jenny Simpson, Jordan Hesse, all those big names. Uh, bonus content with all of them over there. If you're loving the show, I would appreciate it so much if you would consider sharing it on social media, throw it up on your Instagram stories, share it with your friends at work, your kids, friends, moms, all those people, people who might want to run but don't know much about running that want to learn, your mailman, you know, you can share it with anybody. I won't be mad about that. I think this episode in particular, though, would be great to share with people who might be hesitant to get into the sport because they think they maybe don't belong. Crystal has a really important and powerful message there. So this could be a good starter episode for those people. And if you feel so inclined, leaving a rating and review that is kind and not hurtful is always a great way to support the show and help new listeners find it. iTunes likes it when you have more ratings and reviews and subscribers and all those important details so if you have something kind or constructive to say i would appreciate it if you would leave a review over on itunes all right friends have a great friday have a wonderful rest of your weekend and as always i'll see you next friday